What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 98 of the 2QB Experience Podcast, uh, the 2QB XP, as we shorten it. Uh, my name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. Today on the show, I'm joined by Bubba and Trekken. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Of the Bench with Bubba podcast and the sportsdegens.com. You can follow him on Twitter at B-D-E-N-T-R-E-K, like B-D-E-N-T-R-E-K on Twitter. Uh, Bubba, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on and chat with the little football with you. Yeah, man. Um, I did a guest spot on Bench with Bubba a while back. That was a ton of fun, talking just about QBs basically from top to bottom. I think that was pre-draft or, or pre-season. But um, this week, we're going to look back at Week 7. We're going to look ahead to Week 8. And I got to kick it off with this Amari Cooper trade. He went to Dallas for a first-round pick. And let's start off on the Raiders' side. How do you think this is going to impact Derek Carr and the Oakland offense? It, it's really interesting because you look at Amari Cooper and everybody makes fun of the fact, you know, he's he's dropping passes and all this good stuff, but he still gets like a, a anywhere from 15 to 18% target share, so those passes have to go somewhere. And yeah, Derek might not be going far down the field, you know, his average yards per completion is like four and a half right now. It's not It's not ideal. But uh, you got to imagine like the likes of Martavius Bryant and uh, Seth Roberts. The role has to increase. Martavius Bryant, obviously, the bugaboo's always been learning the playbook. But you, you don't look at Jordy Nelson to be that guy to take over here. You look at, I would think, more of a Martavius Bryant, his time to kind of shine and help extend the field for Derek Carr. But if they don't start throwing it down the field more, if you look at his A dot and all these things, it doesn't almost even matter who gets put out there. Um, if you're looking on the waiver wires and with bye weeks coming up, uh, I, I saw you tweet something out earlier that you could look at one of those two guys and I could see them having an impact if they figure it out. But it's really hard to say if it has a big impact because it seems like this is just a lost year for Oakland. And, you know, after the Cleo Mack trade and now this, it seems like they're definitely just selling out to get picks and reload everything. Yeah, I was tweeting about how on Yahoo, um, most league settings are configured in a way that, you know, the players who had a bye this week in week seven are still available up until the start of the Monday Night Football game. And, you know, if you're listening to this now, it's too late. But uh, this is a good lesson for anybody playing on Yahoo in future weeks is, you know, don't dismiss those bye week players as pickup candidates uh, on Sunday and on Monday. Because you can wait to see maybe one of the guys who was on your bench got hurt, um, and then you could have dropped that player to pick up Martavis Bryant or Jalen Richard or maybe even Jordy Nelson if you play in a shallow enough league where he was dropped. Uh, so that that's something to keep in mind for Yahoo players out there. You kind of noted Martavis as the more intriguing option than Seth Roberts, and I agree. I think that you know the ceiling kind of plays uh, more towards Bryant's favor than Roberts. But how would you weigh those two options against the running backs there? Because Doug Martin might be available for some people. Uh, Jalen Richard might be available for some people. I know that it'll probably depend on team context more than anything. You know, if your team needs running back help, you go after Richard and Martin. If you need wide receiver help, you go after Bryant and Roberts. But how are you parsing those if you if, if all things were equal in terms of what your team needed? Would you rather go after Richard? Would you rather go after Bryant? Um, where do you fall on all these players? No, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, Jalen Richard, I think this could also impact him quite a bit. Uh, he was already getting a pretty good role out of the receiving game, and now with Lynch literally getting put on IR today. Uh, last week, we already knew he'd be out for a few weeks. Now he's put on IR today. That definitely opens things up with, you know, already talking about how uh, Carr's not extending the field. I'd be going to Richard over all of those players. And then I look, you know, at the Bryant, you know, you mentioned team context. If you need that kind of boomer bust guy, that's what Mark Davis Bryant is. Um, if you want a guy, you know, like we see Robbie Anderson in recent weeks or Albert Wilson, who's now injured, you know, four catches for 120 and a couple scores, Bryant's that guy. If you like, you know, more reliability, maybe Seth Roberts gets you that five and 60 with a chance at a score. But um, I think Jalen Richard is the one I want the most. I know some people like Doug Martin. I just don't want anything to do with him in a non-PPR I could see him being an, an okay option kind of a Frank Gore type but if you play in any form of PPR or half point PPR I'd go Richard Bryant and uh, Roberts for me yeah I mean the scary part is, is that running back's been such a wasteland this season that maybe a Frank Gore type like yeah. Doug Baldwin or not Doug Baldwin Doug Martin could be someone you might actually want and I've, I'm there and I think in the Barf League I started Kyle Juszczyk last week and that was 
oh man, that was the worst. Um, probably still going to get the victory, thank goodness. But, uh, I mean, those are the sorts of running back decisions we have to make in 2018. Yeah. So, I mean, Doug Martin might be the answer for you if you're listening to this. Uh, let's look at the Cowboys side of things here. What's the impact on Dak Prescott? What's the impact on the rest of the Cowboys playmakers? Now, now I like this a little more for Dak, just for the fact that, yes, Amari's, you know, having issues catching the ball this year. But we've seen Amari be a formidable week-to-week guy. When he has those weeks, he produces – and if you look at that Dallas receiving core, you know, you got Alan Hearns and Michael Gallup, the youngster, he's starting to get a little bit of a role, but still not getting trusted. Cole Beasley's leading the team right now, especially in back-to-back weeks. Not ideal what you want on this team. Zeke needs you to extend the field to get Zeke to work. He was horrible this last weekend because all you have to do is put eight, nine guys in a box. You can put Amari outside and let him run. Even um, And I think this will help quite a bit. You know Jerry likes to pull the strings with the way things run with that team. And I wouldn't be shocked if he's basically telling Jason Garrett, hey, I got you a new toy, but you have to use him. We just gave up a first-round pick. I wouldn't be shocked to see Dak target him a lot. Uh, They have this bye week coming up to help get on the same page quite a bit. I like it quite a bit. I think um, I'm not a huge Amari guy, but I think in this setup, it could be very interesting because there's no number one there at all. Yeah, I mean, he's falling into a situation where the team needed a player like him. Uh, We're talking about Amari Cooper. And... I saw Ben Gretsch tweeting about this earlier today, but uh, according to Next Gen Stats, you know, those NFL.com stats that kind of look a little bit deeper at underlying metrics, um, they have a stat called aggressiveness percentage for quarterbacks, which is how often they throw into tight windows. And Prescott ranks second in the NFL. Some of that is probably due to the nature of the wideouts on that team, you know, those players not being especially good and not being able to get good separation. But if you compare Dak's, you know, second overall ranking in the NFL to Derek Carr, who was fourth worst uh, among qualifiers at 11.6%, this is something where Carr might have been afraid to target Cooper on some tight window throws. Dak's not going to have that problem because he's already doing that with all the crappy receivers they already have. I shouldn't say crappy. I, I, I should just say... Uh, I, I don't know how to qualify it, but you know what yeah. I'm trying to say. I'm not saying they're bad players, but uh, the situation there is not good. And I think that's what uh, you mentioned, Michael Gallup. I think that Amari Cooper coming to the team actually helps Michael so. Gallup because, you know, Cooper's going to be able to take the top off the defense a little bit, open up more stuff underneath for Gallup, for Cole Beasley, for Ezekiel Elliott, frankly. And this is just a, a net positive, I think, to everybody in the offense. Maybe Dak could get back to that, you know, top 10 QB status if this works out. Now, you mentioned the bye week to, to work this out and to get Amari Cooper integrated. That's not that's still not very much time. Do you have any concerns no. about how long it's going to take for Cooper to get adjusted, learn the playbook and all that good stuff? Yeah, that, that always has to be some sort of concern. Um, I think they'll try to keep it as simple as possible. If he's just, you know, staying on the outside, limit the types of routes he's running until he gets used to it. But... I wouldn't be as concerned as, you know, when Josh Gordon went to New England where it was a whole different mindset. Yeah. They need they need Cooper now. Like there's no waiting around, so they're gonna try to find any way to incorporate him. They're gonna they're gonna make the offense go around him instead of him coming around the offense, basically. Well, and the difference there is that with Tom Brady, everything is predicated on timing, on being where you're supposed to be on the route tree, whereas Dak does so much scrambling outside of the pocket, extending plays that it's a little bit more of a, a backyard football vibe with the way that he plays quarterback, and I think that that plays well with what Amari Cooper, you know, can do on the field. You know, get deep, uh, you know, stretch stretch out the defense to some extent, and, and find holes open in zones. I, I'm I'm fascinated to see how this works out. Uh, do you have any any other you know tangential stuff from this trade that that you might see affected um, for either team? Not for you know the on the field parts. There's more other deep meanings that you could laugh at the way it went down. But um, when it comes to on the field, I think it'll be really interesting uh, to see. I think this helps Dak a ton too. We didn't really mention how it's going to help the quarterback. Sure. Dak's looked better the last few weeks, mainly at home. Like I almost wanted to see race this Washington game out of my mind for so many aspects. But <laughs> we we saw the two weeks prior to that where he actually looked better, like much better. This is only going to make him better, and you know. We we talk about it later on your on your outline, but he could be a guy that's out there on a lot of waiver wires right now. I'm not saying run to him, but as weeks come on and matchups get better, it could be interesting. In five years, who do we think wins this trade if we look back at it? Dallas or Oakland? I wanna say Oakland just because I, I just don't trust Crabtree and that just could be like a, a change of certainty could change everything. I could be completely wrong on this. But I, I really wanna say Gruden, he might not be the best coach, but he's already proven after these trades now 
he's not a horrible GM. And if he can analyze these guys and get a, a good draft pick out of this, I, I think it's going to be, I want to say Oakland. I really do. Yep. I, I think I would lean the other side, but I'm more of an Amari truther than, than most folks. I, I think that this is a really good, not, not a great deal for Dallas, but one that they probably needed to make. They needed to get Dak uh, a legit receiving weapon. And that's not to say that Michael Gallup can't become that player down the road, but right now he's not, and they need the help. So I'm going to be optimistic about Cooper's chances in Dallas. Let's move into the Week 7 recap, Bubba. And we got to start from a 2QB's perspective with Blake Bortles getting benched for Cody Kessler. The Jaguars have announced that Bortles is going to start in Week 8, but Ian Rappaport is already reporting that Kessler is going to see uh, practice reps with the first team in Jacksonville. Should owners still try to claim Kessler in their two-quarterback and Superflex leagues? I guess because a starting quarterback is so valuable, as you know, and you mentioned the Barf League, and I'm a doormat in the Barf League right now, and a lot of it's because I waited on quarterbacks too long. And um, I, I guess there's a guy I'd at least have to keep an eye on. I don't feel comfortable grabbing him. Because to me, a lot of this Jags thing feels like they're just trying to send a message to Blake. They went and paid him all that money, and I know, you know, in the NFL you can cut guys and not pay what the salary really is and all that good stuff. But Kessler... I, I, I just I don't see it with him, and sure it was a bad year with the Browns. Bortles has done it before, and I think I think this whole new coaching regime is just a weird regime. They were they were doing fine last year with Gus, mm-hmm. and they changed things. They even said after the game we did it just to send the message to the team. That just doesn't make sense to me to take your starting quarterback out of the game. So long answer, uh, shorten it up for you. Yes, in a super flex two QB where you need depth, sure. But that's about as far as I go with Cody Kessler. Yeah, I I only bring it up because in two quarterback formats, you do have to get out ahead of this stuff a lot of the times with QBs because everybody tends to hoard the position. There's very rarely anybody of significance on the waiver wire. The best you're going to do are these types of guys who could luck into some starts because the guys ahead of them get hurt or play poorly like Bortles did in Week 7. Are there any other quarterbacks like this for you who you know maybe are on the hot seat you know current starters that are on the hot seat and maybe we could look to their backups uh who might get some starts down the stretch there's one we're going to talk about later so i won't bring him up now but he's my favorite one uh on that list i think he's got a great spot to that's the hottest seat i will say that much but other ones you could look at is blaine gabbard unfortunately in tennessee because i think mary is actually seriously hurt still he just does not look right at all. It could be poor game planning uh, just by the offensive coordinator, but his passes don't look great. He's, he's not even moving that well for a Mariota. I think Gabbard, as sad as it sounds, could be interesting. Uh, and then look at the Texans because if if Watson doesn't – it's not because he's going to get benched as much as get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something to think about. Is I've heard uh, there's – you know the on Twitter there's the sports medicine guys that do fantasy and – they say with, you know, the next two weeks, not traveling will help him a ton. But, you know, yeah, I hear collapsed lung and, and broken ribs, and it takes one more hit to me, and he's going to be in a serious problem. So that's just another QB spot that could open up for a few weeks. But uh, the Denver situation is the one I want to talk about later. All right, we'll hold off on that. But, yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the Texans because a couple episodes ago I did a rest-of-season QB rankings show, and looking at the bottom tiers of those rankings, I was trying to profile these players who either would maybe luck into some starts because the guys ahead of them got hurt. And that's when I I called out Brandon Whedon as one of those guys, you know, playing behind Deshaun Watson. And I also profiled players who were playing behind quarterbacks who just aren't very good. And that's where I hit on Kessler and Bortles. If Kessler were to kind of take over for the Jaguars, how would that impact your evaluation of that team's pass catchers? Do you think that any of them would be negatively or positively impacted by Kessler going under center instead of Bortles? Uh, at first glance, I even I tried to look at like Kessler's previous runs with the Browns, and that's just a waste of time. So with the Browns, <laughs> like I was trying to give it like an honest look of what we could find with Kessler, and he you know he had a couple little spots last season, and he really hasn't had enough of a sample size, as you would say, to give me an idea of where he likes to go with things. But then I looked at instead I went to like air yards and I looked at the way things are getting distributed when it comes to the Jags and I don't think it'll affect them at all. You look at um, at least three receivers and Moncrief and Westbrook and Cole they're all getting you know anywhere from fifteen to twenty percent of the targets a week. Um, the air yards you know sure Moncrief and 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 Cole get a little more of the air yards uh, down the field 
the one thing you can keep an eye on, and I did not watch the Jags game, but uh, Shark got seven targets. He was tied for the team lead last week, and that's a new kind of revelation. So if if that was with Kessler in the game, maybe, you know, backup to backups, they know each other. That's something to keep an eye on. But otherwise, if it's just the main guys out there, I'm not overthinking it too much. Yeah, that's always a fun narrative is the guys who have to practice together on the second team. You know, sometimes when they get to play together, that chemistry translates to actual games. I'll be curious to see how Shark looks if Kessler does get in there. Real quick, let's touch on the running back situation there because Carlos Hyde is coming to the Jaguars. He didn't play in Week 7, but chances are he'll probably get some snaps in Week 8 and beyond. How do you see him playing out for that team while Leonard Fournette is out? Do you think that TJ Yeldon remains startable even when Hyde is playing? Uh, in your you know 12 teams or more leagues, I think they're both startable uh, while Fournette's out just because they made this trade, A, because I think they're concerned with Fournette, which I've been saying for a while. I've, I'm not a Fournette guy just because his injuries scare me. And it's and by the way the Jags are treating it, they finally realized, okay, stop trying to play him. But Yeldon's banged up. That's why they went and brought Charles in. They released Charles today because Hyde's there. Um, Hyde is – I still can't figure out why the Niners didn't pay $5 million for him. Like he's a very, very good running back. And I get the Browns with the two young players they have. But when it comes to the Jags, I, I definitely see both having a role. It's obviously not going to make Yeldon as great as he was when Fournette was out. But, you know, in your deep leagues, if you you, know, you look at the Falcons with Edo Smith and Tevin Coleman, it's something similar to that, like a 60-40 split. So I think they'll both have their validity to it. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the Niners. I think that that was just more of a philosophical shift in what types of players they want at the running back position. Like, you see who they brought in with Jerick McKinnon, that they kept Matt Breda around. Like, those two guys are so different from Carlos Hyde and what they offer, and that's just kind of the way the NFL seems to be going is for those smaller satellite-type backs really taking over, you know, and having depth at that position uh, or redundancy with those skill sets is also super important. Like, you see that with the Patriots and, and the types of running backs and, you know, slot receivers that they go after. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that topic in the big picture but um we don't really have time to get into that so uh what else stood out to you in week seven let's kind of uh zoom out and you know before we get to our awards for the week uh what else did you see this past week that jumped out to you i, I put a couple down but i can kind of summarize them in different parts but the biggest one to me especially from a fantasy football impact is the amount of injuries that took place this weekend was yeah. devastating like absolutely devastating I suffered the um, Melvin Gordon. I still took him out, but, you know, on a bye week, last-minute waiver wire, there wasn't a whole lot to choose from. Uh, Sony Michelle, I had them on the same team, so that was devastating. Uh, and, and so far, so good on the news there. But LaShawn McCoy, Albert Wilson was a big waiver wire guy. Matt Breida, Kiki Kute, there's like the list goes on and on, and they're all guys you would have been starting this week. It was just devastating to the NFL. And it's not like there's something you can do about it. But if you survived your fantasy week in week seven, I tip my cap. Yeah, and it was a total nightmare in DFS as well because a, a oh, lot yeah. of it, like Michelle especially, was in a game that had a big total. Like people were banking on him maybe for a couple rushing touchdowns. Do you have any interest in Kenyon Barner or maybe even Mike Gillisley as a, a guy that the Patriots might sign? Because while Michelle's injury isn't considered serious, he is probably going to miss week eight. Are you trying to leverage that at all? Yeah, he's going to miss. I wouldn't be shocked if it's a couple weeks. I'd go with Barner for now just because he actually did look really good. I know I've heard the Gillisley rumors. I wouldn't be shocked if they even go try to bring someone else in because it's the Patriots and this is what they do. Uh, I've heard a ton of different names mentioned today, and none of them would surprise me. I, I wouldn't overpay for anything, like even as an owner, because with the Patriots, I could easily see them every week trying someone else until they find someone that just fits the system. But uh, i go with Barner for now because we know he's there. Right. Well, and they can also just – not care about having a bell cow type running back and just throw the ball a ton you know hit edelman hit josh gordon just i mean chris hogan started to come around in that game james white is still there like they are deep enough in the receiving game to make up for a lack of running um what about albert wilson because his hip injury sounds like it could end his season Devonta parker is probably going to start in week eight can he you know rise from the fantasy dead maybe here i mean i'm i'm not buying it but we have to consider it right no, we have to. I, I've already answered questions in our sports degens chat we have with some with people, and because Kenny Stills has already ruled out for Thursday night. Albert Wilson, like you said, is probably out for the year. They don't have anybody else. I'm a sad Dolphins fan, and um, I'm is not, there I, any other kind? 
No, because I, <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I tell people. Like, they say, are you excited for the year? I'm like, yes, I love being 8-8 eight and eight every year if I'm lucky. It's like you, have, you already know what's going to happen. And um, the thing is, Brock, Brock Osweiler's throwing the football. And, you know, Jacecki even got a little banged up with a head injury, but he came back late somehow. There's nowhere to go. I think Drake is actually going to help Drake tremendously. Uh, we saw him the last two weeks get more role in the passing game like he should be. But with nowhere to go, I don't hate Devontae Parker in bye weeks like this where you're going to need options. Um, I really don't hate it at all. I know all the bugaboos about him. I know he's not great, but he's an option. He's going to be a number one or two in an offense. What do you think about the carry-on Johnson kind of mini breakout that he had? How much of it does it matter that Theo Riddick was out in this game? I and mean, we still saw LeGarrette Blunt get, get a touchdown carry. Are you buying carry-on Johnson going forward? I love Kerryon Johnson. I don't know if Matt Patricia buys Kerryon Johnson, <laughs> but um, this is the second big game he's had where they, they kind of gave him a role. It's not even a full time role yet. Like if they gave this guy consistently twenty plus touches a week, my goodness, he, he is super talented. He can catch the ball. He can run like wild. It, it, <laughs> I know I bring it back to Miami, but I can relate to it. It's you know you have a, a, a back that can explode like Kerryon Johnson or like Kenyon Drake, and then you still give it to Blunts and Gores. Like, I get what stability does for you, but a guy like Carrion Johnson, who you took a second-round draft pick on, use the kid. He's very, very good. And, yes, Riddick being out does help, but I'd almost want to hope if you have a smart game plan, that's something we've talked about outside of the podcast world, is just some of the coaches' game plans are mind-boggling. If you have Riddick healthy and you have Carrion Johnson, well, then LeGarrette Blunt, you might get a third-down carry here or there, but you're pretty much out of the way. We're going to run with these two guys and go that direction. You think Matt Patricia would have learned something from one of the greatest coaches in football, how he uses two running backs so well. We haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, you mentioned Miami, and one thing that stood out from two weeks ago was how they attacked the Bears' defense. And then we saw the Patriots do a very similar thing in Week 7. We saw them play into those low depth-of-target throws, just try to get guys on the move, try to take advantage of yards after the catch how does this impact your view of the Bears' defense? It seems like they're beatable in this way. Teams are going to continue to attack them like this until they can prove they can stop it. As we're looking at you know matchups for our quarterbacks in two QB leagues, should we be less afraid of the Bears going forward because of what we've seen over the past two weeks? Or am I giving you know you know too much credit to coaches in general when you know Adam Gase and Bill Belichick in this particular instance are smart enough offensive coaches to to game plan towards that stuff does my question make sense are we yeah no yeah. I got you um the way I look at it is two things how healthy is Khalil Mack to help control the middle of the field that's one thing he's been pretty banged up the last weeks and I know he's he rushes off the edge a lot but he can also drop back in that three four system that's one question Second question is, like, you know, they have the Jets this weekend. So we might see things go back to reality. But say you're a team that has a really good tight end that can control the middle of the field, or you have, look at the Rams and the Chiefs, we have, like, three wideouts that you got, you know, the short middle pass with a Cooper Cup and you can go outside, then you obviously don't care. But if you're the Jets, you're probably not starting Sam Darnold this week. I think they're still a very good defense. Are they as elite as we thought they were the way they started the year? Probably not. But... um I, I'm not as hesitant, like you're saying, as I was before. So, um, yeah, they definitely come down a few pegs. Yeah, I mean, Sigmund Bloom talks a lot about the assumption of rational coaching on his podcast on the couch. So you should definitely check that out if you don't listen to it. And you kind of hinted at that before. I think this is one of those instances where we can't capitalize on it every week. But some weeks when we know the coaching is smart enough to identify you know, those strengths and those advantages in the middle of the field at short depth of target – there is something here, and we, we've seen two smart offensive coaches go after the Bears in this way. I think that's something we can look for look for in future games. But like you said, New York Jets in Week 8, Buffalo Bills in Week 9, probably not too much to get excited about there. But Detroit uh, in Week 10, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, Theo Riddick, and Kerryon Johnson. Like, that is a place where I don't think I'm going to be too, too afraid of the Bears' defense. Now, with that said, if Khalil Mack gets healthy, like you said, that could change everything, but we'll have to monitor that going forward. One other thing that stood out to me in Week 7 was C.J. Beathard against the Rams, and I feel like we could have seen this coming, but he was exposed a little bit against that defense. What are your expectations for Beathard going forward? Because I think he benefited from a relatively easy schedule in his first few starts. 
and he probably has some easy enough games coming up, but how trustable do you think he is? I, I'm not sure exactly how to value him going forward. I'm, I'm hoping you'll can, you can help me out here. Uh, obviously, he's, I think he's really good in the two QB super flex league. Uh, single QB, it's tough. He did get exposed, but this Rams defense, it I think it, it showed its true colors this week. It's kind of been lackluster. I like CJ. Um, I like him for the fact of the scheme he's in. It goes back to the way these coaches look at things. Like we've mentioned a few times now, is they're going to move him around, which he can do. They're going to, you know, do quick dump offs, quick, you know, slant passes. They're going to game plan to help him succeed. And he has weapons for it. Not exactly sure what happened with all the weapons this last week, unless it was just an amazing defensive scheme. But, you know, you got Arizona this week that you can be beatable. And the following week you have the Raiders. So, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, I, he's going to get tons and tons of chances, and the good thing is there's no one really breathing down his back to take his job. Well, the Niners did just re-sign Tom Savage. Oh, they did last time I saw they got rid of him. They signed him again. They brought him it's back. Outstanding. <laughs> Not that this, I mean, I'm, just, I'm joking, of course. Tom Savage is no threat to anybody, let alone C.J. Beathard. Um, let's get to our awards for Week 7. Who was the boom of the week to you, Bubba? Which quarterback outperformed your expectations the most? Now, this was kind of tough to call him a boom because I expected him to do very well. I liked him in DFS. I didn't expect him to be the QB2 in a six-point passing touchdown league, and that's Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. He was absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, sure, he's 26 to 50, barely over 50%. Think of the game, by the way. He went for 333. He had two touchdowns. He had 81 yards on the ground for a touchdown. That rushing touchdown was insane. It, was, it counts for eight yards, but it was like 70-something yards overall on next-gen stats. It was just crazy what he did there. He's shown us a few times now this year the glimpse of why you would take a guy so early that had question marks. They're still there, but he's shown those big game potentials. And I think as this offense continues to kind of gel with the new, you know, you know, new offense they have there, I think this could be really good. And he showed me a lot this week in a big time matchup where you know some younger guys might fold, thinking you know seeing Tom Brady and company come to town. Yeah, he was super inaccurate in that game. I'm glad you brought that up because you you look at the fantasy points he scored uh, over 31 30, points yep. and. I mean, the way he passed was not indicative of that. He did not look good throwing the football, but he totally made up for it with his athleticism and his legs. He he led the he led the team in rushing the whole game. When it comes to fantasy, that counts. Like that's all we really really care about. For me, it has to be Brock Osweiler, QB twelve, mm-hmm. seventeen plus points, almost eighteen fantasy points. But I mean, this is Brock Osweiler, right? Can we trust him on the road? at Houston on a short week for Thursday night football uh, in the upcoming week. It's always tough to say we trust Brock Osweiler, <laughs> but um, honestly, Thursday night games just stink to begin with. I don't hate it though. Um, Houston's defense hasn't been as, as strong as you would hope it would be. It is in Houston, which stinks. That really does hurt things. But again, I know I keep taking the easy way out. It comes down to you've seen how Gase uses him. Like you said, he was very productive last week. He's keeping it simple with him. And a lot of that is using Kenyon Drake as a safety valve. And that has really helped Brock Osweiler. And then he's shown the ability two weeks ago to take the top off the field if he has to. Um, so there are ways to use him by any means. But I think he's like an ultimate option this week. No. But if you need him, I think he is usable, yes. Yeah, I saw I can't I wish I could remember who was tweeting it out earlier, but somebody pointed out that Adam Gase on Thursday night football was very very bad. Uh 0 3 or something being outscored by like 70 something points in over those 3 games. It's That wouldn't shock me cuz yeah. he seems like a guy that really needs to game plan and in a short week could really screw him up. So that's my biggest fear, and that was a great stat poll. I'll have to find that and maybe put it in the show notes. So apologies if I don't, because it's it's hard to hunt stuff down like that on Twitter yep. sometimes. But I, I did see it from somebody else. I didn't I didn't see it. I'm, I'm not trying to take credit here. But speaking of potentially bad picks for Week 8, let's look back at Week 7 for our bust of the week. Which quarterback underperformed your expectations the most uh, on the previous slate, Bubba? I want to say I wanted to use Baker, but I couldn't completely. I, I thought he'd be better than he was. But what I'm going to do, and this is probably just because it was pure game script because they were purely dominating and Todd Gurley's a monster. But Jared Goff, mm-hmm. um, QB 15 in a six-point touchdown uh, quarterback league, barely over 20 points in that league. He was efficient, 18 to 24 for 202 and two touchdowns, but really nothing else. And if you're playing Jared Goff in that matchup, you're thinking big things coming your ways, and that was not quite hitting. Like 20 points is still great, but I, I, I took a note that – in, in and I, I, I keep using six-point touchdowns because that's a lot of what I play. But – 
16 quarterbacks had 20 plus points. He was QB 15. So there was a lot of lot more production out there. Yeah, he didn't get quite as good of a game in four point per touchdown leagues. Uh, Baker Mayfield actually performed better in that format. He was the QB six pending Monday Night Football with almost 21 points. So I agree that he shouldn't be the bust of the week, even though he was disappointing giving the matchup. Uh, Goff is a, is a mm-hmm. different animal though. He really does run that risk of getting girlied every week. You, you never know when they're just going to score everything on the ground. And I think one of those touchdowns from Goff was to Gurley, right? So uh, Yeah, he threw one to Gurley, yeah. And, yeah, that that's just makes him kind of tough to trust in general. The fact that he is so efficient means that you probably have to start in most weeks. Uh, that offense is just so good. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that he was definitely a little disappointing given the matchup against San Francisco. But that's just kind of the way, like you said, the game script breaks for me, it has to be Andy Dalton. Uh, similarly, in a very good matchup, although on the road at Kansas City, uh, Dalton finishes the QB 23 with just under eight fantasy points. When it comes to you know the, the Chiefs playing at home in Arrowhead, that does seem to be an advantage for them. Are there any other teams in the NFL that seem to have a distinct home field advantage, particularly when it, when it comes to maybe starting a QB on the road in those situations? Like, Are there guys that you avoid because they're playing you know, on the road in stadium X, Y, or Z? Um, Arrowhead's definitely a good one. I like to say Minnesota. Uh, this year, they still really good on defense. Last year, they were insane at home. We'll get a great test this week with Breeze going into a dome on the road. That'll test everyone's narratives right there. Um, I, I like Minnesota a lot at home. A couple others, you know, Seattle's not what it used to be. Uh, Foxborough, you know, if you get a primetime late-night Foxborough game, we might see Derek Anderson retire at halftime this week. Um, <laughs> that that might be one there. I don't know. The way that the offenses go these days with so many easy, like, short passes, it's not as dominating. I, I'd say probably New Orleans is probably still good when they're winning because that, that crowd gets pretty raucous. But uh, Minnesota would be the next one that stands out the most to me. Yeah, good deal. I, I try to not think too much about that stuff. Like, I really do believe that generally if players are good, they can transcend any sort of matchup, whether that be on the road, against a certain type of defense, whatever. But well, defenses don't matter. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I... Sorry. No, that's fine. I'm, I kind of... This is why I bring it up. Like, this is one of the reasons why I put yeah. this question on my notes is that I, I don't think that defenses... I think the defenses do matter. I just think that they don't matter as much as most people think they do, if that makes sense. Agreed. No, I completely agree. Like, I, I agree that you can't just take them out of the entire narrative because obviously there is a factor to what's going on out there. But the offensive schemes we see in this era compared to recent eras where there's three, four wide and the running backs can all catch the ball and the tight ends are almost wide receiver ones on some teams, it changes everything now. You can't just keep it simple. Yeah, like, for example, a few of the other guys who I had as candidates for Bust of the Week, and many of these might seem obvious, but I had Blake Bortles against Houston. He finishes the QB 29, got benched, as we talked about. I had Alex Smith at home against Dallas. He finishes the QB 18 with under 13 points. And Deshaun Watson on the road at Jacksonville. Admittedly, Jacksonville is you know supposed to be a good defense, but Deshaun Watson was only the QB 20, uh, under 11 fantasy points. But still, like Watson is one of those guys who was so hyped in the preseason. Everybody thought he was going to be, you know, the next great quarterback. And if you're the next great quarterback, you go into Jacksonville and you deliver. Like we saw Patrick Mahomes beat that defense earlier this year, and Mahomes couldn't do it. Or excuse me, Watson couldn't do it. So I, I don't know. Like I, I think defense matters, but I, I think that talent for an individual player matters just as much and usually more for the most part. So I, I don't know. It's it's not really an easy argument to settle like all this stuff exists on a really large continuum with a a lot of different context for any given matchup so for me it's more about trying to see the big picture of a matchup and that's why i've created that game robotic spreadsheet which by no means is like a a cure-all for figuring out which players to start but for me personally it lets me get like a good snapshot of where teams are strong where teams are are weak and trying to see how that's going to line up apply some amount of logic to figure out how teams are going to attack each other and with that in mind, try to forecast general usage and likely usage based upon the overall matchup. And and that's not defense mattering, that's matchup mattering. So I guess that's the difference for me. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, I want to look back with you at DFS a little bit. I, I feel like I don't talk enough about DFS on the show, and I know that you you dabble if, if not are a complete degenerate. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to Week 7... 
and your DFS lineups. I want to know about your worst lineup. And let's talk GPP because yeah. when you're doing those tournaments, you do have to kind of throw out some some darts. You have to make some contrarian plays. What was your worst GPP lineup in Week Seven, and how did you end up landing there in the first place? Do you feel like it was good process and what can we kind of learn from that in hindsight? Look back at this and say, okay, trying to play these guys was smart. Here's why it didn't work out. Maybe we can go back to the well with some of this stuff, but you know, maybe these other points, player X, Y, and Z, they were bad process. Like, How, how does this shake out for you? Give, give me an example from week seven. And my worst lineup had 95.9 points in it, which is very, very bad. And um, it was my Cleveland stack with Baker, Callaway, and Njoku. And Baker and Njoku were just fine. Callaway, who for the last basically since Baker took over, they've been best friends. And I was looking at the air yards, and I'm looking GPP. I want the big plays, and you know he's been getting double digit targets and dropping things. And then he got I think three targets this last week, as Jarvis Landry is back. That is good to see. So um, I, I like the fact that Jarvis is back, but it would have been you know nice to get a little heads up that hey we're changing things around. Um, you know one week sample doesn't do it for me. When I see two or three weeks of a guy's guys getting along, it kind of gets my attention. So. I guess I could reevaluate that, but, uh, you know, that is what it is. McCoy, I played Shady McCoy and the Bills defense as a contrarian stack. Neither one of those obviously worked as McCoy left with a concussion, and the Bills defense was atrocious against your top quarterback and Andrew Luck. So that really, really hurt as well. And then the last piece of that puzzle on that lineup that crushed me, and I was big on him this week, is Zeke. I understand that they were on the road, I thought that meant he would have an even bigger impact. I did not see the Washington Redskins, who they're okay against the run, but by no means great against the run, stopping Ezekiel. And I know I was not the only one on board uh, with that one. So uh, that shocked me quite a bit. The other guys in my line of ball got double digits or more. They did their parts. But, you know, Shady, the Bills defense, Callaway and Zeke, if they were just average at best, I would have been okay. They were nothing. Yeah, my worst lineup has a lot of stuff in common. I scored uh, 87.3. DraftKings points, and I also had a Zeke. I also had LaShawn McCoy and the Bills stacked together. Uh, and then I had Jermaine Curse, of course, with the, the glorious goose Yeah, egg. what was that? Zero My points. Goodness. <laughs> so that's, that's an instance where I don't feel bad, though. You know, I see the no, zero no. in my lineup, and I'm like, man, that was terrible. But, you know, I feel like the process was good there. Anunua, Robbie Anderson, I, I just, I don't see how he did as poorly as he did. That's just how the game broke for whatever reason. I, I'm not going to sweat that too much. And then the other reason that this lineup did not work out very well is, I mean, you alluded to this with Jared Goff. I had him stacked with Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. And Cooks and Robert Woods weren't terrible. I mean, Woods was bad compared to his cost, I suppose. But they both had, you know, 13-plus points. I don't feel too bad about that. But Goff just kind of didn't put it together, got girlied, as we said. So um, uh, very very similar for me there, like a lot of the same types of ideas. So, I mean, if we both came to the same conclusion, like maybe we both need to revise our processes. But I think that in general, going after those running backs, going after the the shady and uh, Bill stack wasn't the worst idea, especially given how Luck had performed previously in terms of turning the ball over, in terms of having a high pass attempt volume that might have led to more turnovers uh, if the Bills were able to perform on defense. It didn't work out that way, and that's why you play different lineups. That's why you play, uh, you know, a bunch of different stuff when when you're in those, you know, multi-entry contests. But um, yeah, good good stuff. I'm glad we kind of looked back at that and found some common ground. And that's um, a, that's an important thing to do is you need to look back on these things. If people that, that don't learn from what they did, like like was it the right process? Was it not? You're never going to get better at at doing this. So you need. I'm not, by no means am I an expert, but you at least need to go back and evaluate what you're doing to to, to build and learn from what you did. Do you have any other big takeaways from DFS, not necessarily related to that one lineup, but other stuff that kind of stood out to you or that you can take away and apply to future weeks? It continues to go. Just pay for Todd Gurley. Yeah. I know it's pretty <laughs> yeah. simple. Like it's like I, I bought into that the last, like two weeks ago, and I, I, I have 100% Todd this week. 100% is usually not the greatest thing, but I just said, you know what? He's going to crush the Niners. We're going to go with this. This is how it's going to go. If I lose because of Todd, that, so be it. Um, other than that, don't be as scared of chalk as you used to be. I'm not saying go full chalk, but um, don't be as scared because it's hitting rather crazy right now. And if you're not on some of the good chalk, like you need to know between good and, and bad chalk, basically. Yep, definitely. Uh, I, I've definitely found that to be true this season. When I 
previously would have been afraid to use some person, mm -hmm. some player because of projected ownership or what I assumed would be high ownership. Chances are that, you know, I, I think this is indicative of fantasy in general is we're getting a lot smarter about how we approach the game. And if someone's chalk, they're chalk for a reason. And there are still advantages to moving away from that. If you can find the right, you know, leverage player, arbitrage play against that player. Uh, but there is value in going after those those players as well. Like Nick Chubb is a really good example where yep. he was so cheap that so many people were going to use him and the matchup was good enough that I, I didn't feel any shame in using him and I didn't feel at any point that it was incorrect to put him into my lineups, especially on the cash side. Now, on the tournament side, yeah, you, you probably want to differentiate at least you know some percentage of your lineups away from him. But yeah, there, there's value in going after what the public is doing um, in, in a lot of cases. Last thing I want to get to on the week seven recap here is the Broncos quarterback situation. Jason Lockenfor is reporting that the Broncos, quote, intend to look at, unquote, Chad Kelly at some point this season. So I'm going to pose it to you like this. Over under two and a half more games started for Case Keenum this season. And how's it going? I'm, I, I want to say under. Uh, for the whole season or until he gets replaced? For the whole season. So I the reason I threw out two and a half is because the Broncos have two games before their bye. So I'm basically saying, do you think Kelly will take over as the starter before week 11 and then hold the job? I guess is essentially what I'm really asking. Yeah, I think he'll take over and hold the job. Keenum's just not getting it done. I think they're going to move on from that. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if some other guys get traded. They've already, there's rumors of Emmanuel Sanders and, um, and Demetrius and company. So they could just do a full fire sale and say, okay, kid, this is yours for the, the time being, and I think that's the direction it's going, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I think Swag gives them their best chance to win, actually, which is crazy to say. Yeah, it's, it's distinctly possible. Poor Case Keenum, man. I mean, he had a good yeah. run in Minnesota, but that definitely seems to be more based on the situation than based on, on his ability. And, and that's not too surprising, considering the type of player that he showed himself to be prior to last season, but... I don't know. Like I was rooting for the dude. Um, with that said, I'm also kind of a Chad Kelly truther, so I'm, I'm ready to see what he can do. I would actually take the over on Keenum. I, I think that maybe he would hold it for maybe one extra game, and I just don't think there's any guarantee that if Kelly comes in that he's going to succeed. So even if they turn to Kelly at some point, excuse me, I could see them coming back to Chad Ke or Case Keenum eventually, maybe further down the road. But I think it's close, and that's that's why I set the number where I did. And we talked about how two quarterback and super flex drafters or owners should go after Cody Kessler. How would you frame that same sort of approach for Chad Kelly? Do you think that he's a better player to target going forward? I do, yes. I think, A, because he's got a better chance of getting a role for more of the season, and B, I actually like his weapons more if they are there. I know I said they might get traded, but if they are there, I'd rather have Emmanuel and Demetrius instead of a group of pretty good receivers. No one knows who's going to be who, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, get, give me Swag Kelly. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I would do the same. I, I did do the same. I actually picked up Chad Kelly last week in the Scott Fishbowl just as kind of one of those, again, trying to get ahead of the curve a little bit. I, I picked them up off waivers for cheap. Now these reports are coming out, so... Unfortunately, there's no trading in Scott Fishbowl, so it's not like I can try to leverage this and, and make something out of my QB depth. But, you know, if one of my guys gets hurt, maybe Kelly comes in and saves my season in the last few weeks. And that's when, you know, the scoring in Scott Fishbowl really matters is, is once you make it to the playoffs. But uh, I digress. Let's get to the Week 8 preview, and we'll kick it off as we always do with Streamers of the Week. Who is your favorite or the most intriguing quarterback streamer to you? Kind of looking for a low-end quarterback two or quarterback three type who owners wouldn't always start, but this week you like the outlook. Well, there's, there's two that weren't QB two or QB threes but are widely available on Yahoo for some reason, but people go pick up Mitchell Trubisky and Baker Mayfield, please. Well, I want to say I was shocked by how low-owned they were. 55% um, and 41% owned. But if you want long shots, I actually do. You mentioned him earlier. I do like C.J. Bethard. Uh, he's only 9% on Yahoo. Uh, if, if anything, I would start him this week if you had to against Arizona. I would want him now before he's going to cost you a lot more to face Oakland next week. Yeah, Bethard's going on the road, which worries me a little bit. And Arizona's quietly been pretty good against quarterbacks. He's on my list as a potential streamer for sure, just because he's so cheap and probably easy to get Like if you needed to trade for a guy. But the Cardinals have only given up top 10 finishes in 14% of their weeks, uh, top 20 in about 57%. 
Uh, points per game, uh, the Cardinals have allowed is 14.1. That's 30th in the NFL. Uh, the average weekly finish of quarterbacks against them is QB 19.0. So th- on paper, the matchup looks bad. With that said, Bethard is the type of guy who can get it done with his legs, kind of like Trubisky mm-hmm. did last week against New England. And I think that he's uh, still in play because of that. My streamer of the week is actually on the other side of the ball. I'm going to go with Josh Rosen playing That's against the, the Niners. Guy I had down. I like it. Yeah, so the Niners, you know, I just threw out all those stats about how decent or good the Cardinals have been against quarterbacks. The Niners have been terrible against quarterbacks. Uh, they've allowed top 10 finishes in 57% of games. They've allowed top 20 finishes in about 86% of games. They've allowed 21.05 points per game against. That's eighth most in the NFL. Average weekly finish against the Niners is 12.1. So... I get that Rosen looked terrible. I don't care. Like he's playing against the Niners, that means he's in play. I think that the new play caller coming in there, and you know Byron Leftwich uh, in in Arizona, hopefully means that more passes are going to go to David Johnson. And if the Cardinals are giving more passes to their better playmakers, hopefully that results in more stats for Josh Rosen. Right, Larry Fitzgerald seems to be on the mend. He historically has killed the 49ers. And I saw earlier today that Josh Hermsmeyer at Frisco Josh posted a chart of a true touchdown rate versus the actual performance of quarterbacks. And Josh Rosen was a clear underperformer in that chart. So he's probably due for some regression in the touchdown rate department. I think that this is as good a place as, as any for him to start against the 49ers. He's my pick. Um, I like it. Yeah, I'd also throw out Case Keenum. Uh, he's going on the road at KC. We saw what they did to Dalton, so that's a risky one. But again, the Chiefs' defense has struggled stopping people for the most part. Seventy-one uh, percent of the weeks have resulted in top twenty finishes against them. Uh, average weekly finish against the Chiefs has been twelve point four. Uh, that includes, you know, the bad week that Dalton just had. So there's some value there. I think Derek Carr going against Indianapolis is risky, but kind of intriguing. And the last guy I'll throw out as kind of a, a deep, deep, dark throw would be Derek Anderson against the Patriots. The Patriots have been pretty favorable to, to quarterbacks. We just saw how Trubisky did well against them. You noted that. Uh, with that said, Anderson doesn't have the legs that Trubisky had, so don't expect the same thing. Maybe you can get Anderson in as like a, a, a desperation play, though, if, if you're at that point in your two quarterback leagues. Do um, you have anything of note on Keenum or Carr or Derek Anderson? No, uh, those are definitely long shots. If I had to, I'd probably go Carr, Anderson, Keenum, because Keenum in Kansas City scares me. Yep, fair enough. Uh, let's get to the clipboard holder of the week, and I'm going to start because I have one that's contrarian to your uh, your call from the previous segment here. And in terms of a quarterback who I would normally start, but I might be avoiding this week, I'm going to throw Baker Mayfield out there. He's on the road at Pittsburgh, <laughs> and Pittsburgh has been a favorable match for quarterbacks on the season. They've allowed half the quarterbacks they face to finish top ten. Every quarterback they face has finished top twenty. Uh, They've allowed about 24 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. That's fourth most in the NFL. Average weekly finish against them is QB 10.5. So I'm going out on a limb here. Give me a break if this doesn't work out. But here's what I don't like. Mayfield has taken five sacks in each of his past three games. And the Steelers have one of the league's best pass rushes. They rank fourth in football outsiders adjusted sack rate. And Pittsburgh defense has turned around in recent weeks. And it corresponds to Joe Hayden getting healthier. Uh, I think that he's providing better coverage in the secondary, and what's that? What that's doing is allowing uh, the Pittsburgh defense's elite pass rush to get to the quarterback a little more often. Uh, Steelers are coming off a bye; they're at home. I think that Mayfield is still subject to his coaching staff uh, and, and their follies to some extent. I'm not super excited about you know Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley leading that offense. This is just a situation where I feel like Mayfield could disappoint relative to the you know season-long expectations that the Steelers' defense has projected for us. Do you have any thoughts on this? Am I, am I going too far on a limb here? Because I, I don't feel good about it, but I am worried about Mayfield in this spot. No, you're, you're, you're very fine being worried in this one. I could see this going one of two ways. One, your way or two. All of a sudden, here's the Baker breakout because the Steelers' defense has shown that problem of you know, holding quarterbacks back. Um, I, I, I like Baker this week, but I completely agree with everything you had to say. I can see how, well, look at last week, for instance, how he couldn't really get it done with the way we fought against a porous Tampa Bay defense. Yep. I think the play calling is very, very rough. He could go off in this game, but I think as long as they just kind of try to keep it simple and not let him explode and use the weapons he has, 
I could see Pittsburgh having fun with this. And they love the blitz rookie quarterbacks. And he got sacked five times last week, and they could be all over him again this week. So we'll see. I, I don't hate that at all. So who's your clipboard holder of the week? This one I went on a limb with as well. I went with Carson Wentz going to London to face the Jags. I, I do like Carson Wentz quite a bit. I know we just we've mentioned how the Jags defense hasn't been super great, but I still respect him. And you know, those early morning London games and and Wentz just he didn't look great last week in again in a game where he should have kept pouring it on against Carolina and that could have been the the the, the coaching staff calling it back and, and taking it easy and trying to coast out a W and it backfired. But I think Wentz isn't he's gonna have an okay game, but not the Carson Wentz type game you want him to have against the Jags this weekend in London. Yeah, he was on my list for sure. This is an interesting week because a lot of the tougher matchups for quarterbacks are against good quarterbacks. Wentz is a good example. Aaron Rodgers is on the road at the Rams. Cam Newton is home against the Ravens. I think that all three of these guys are you know, a little risky for that reason. But as I alluded to earlier, I tend to lean into good players over tough matchups. Um, with that said, I love all the points you made about Wentz going to London for this game. And I mean, just in general, those London games tend to be a little wonky. And I think that we could see that here with Philadelphia. Now, in this case, both teams, you know, going into that game are East Coast teams. So it's not really going to be an issue of time zone. Uh, But I I think the fact that we are talking about the Jaguars defense does make Wentz risky. Uh, They've only allowed 14% of their opposing quarterbacks to finish top 10, uh, 51% top 20. Uh, Average weekly finish about them is about QB 19. So you're right on the borderline. Like Wentz could finish on the high range of outcomes there and finishes like QB 12, QB 10, or, you know, maybe if he hits the bottom end of that range, he's QB 22. And that wouldn't totally shock me. What are you doing with Newton, though? I think he was the other guy who I had concerns about, aside from Mayfield, like more so than Wentz, more so than Rodgers. Newton's going against a Baltimore defense that's allowed an average weekly finish of QB 20.7, only 13.3 points per game from quarterbacks against the Ravens. But Newton isn't really a traditional quarterback, right? He gets a lot of his scoring on Mm -hmm. the ground. Do you think that helps him in this matchup? Do you think it it matters? Like, What are you doing with him uh, in your Week 8 evaluations? Yeah, I can see the concerns because I, I am a big fan of that Ravens defense. They've shown it when they went on the road at Tennessee. And, yes, Tennessee, we've said, isn't the same. But throwing the shutout with 11 sacks on the road is impressive because we always thought the Ravens were kind of a home defense. And outside of last week, they've been outstanding week in and week out. And they're still good. But Drew Brees finally got his. I start Cam pretty much every week. I haven't found a week where I haven't started him yet. Just for the fact what he can do with his legs. Uh, is is on another level. I think he was leading the team in rushing for a while last week or finished in the lead, one of the two. But between his legs and his ability to move around and find the open man with Greg Olson back, giving him another weapon, uh, I'll I'll still be using him and and rolling him out everywhere I have him against the Ravens. So are you more concerned about him than Rodgers and Wentz or less concerned about him than Rodgers and Wentz? For a concern level, I'd go Wentz, uh, Cam, and then Rodgers because – Something tells me with Rodgers, he kind of lives for these moments to show the young kid in town that he can still sling around as well. Yeah, fair enough. What else are you looking forward to on the upcoming slate, Week 8? Uh, week 8, I well, when it comes to just you know petty DFS things, Kansas City's back on the main slate for the first time in, in three weeks, so Finally. I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I, that'll be fun. Um I am really excited about your guy, um, Andrew Luck in Oakland, because he's just been amazing, and I'll get a nice cupcake matchup like that. And then I, I kind of hinted at it. I really, really am excited about Green Bay at the Rams. Green Bay coming off of bye week, so another week for Rodgers is Nita Hill. Uh, hopefully gets Geronimo Allison back. I want him to have all his weapons in play, because I could see him spreading it out. The Rams are still going to do their thing. I think it's going to be a fun game and a little more interesting than people think. I want to talk a little bit more about that DFS angle you brought up with the Chiefs. Do you think that this might be a week to fade some of their guys because people might be more inclined to start them just because they haven't been able to on the main slate? Do you think they're going to be overowned because they've been such a rare commodity on the main slate? I think they're going to be extremely high owned because the Patriots aren't around for everyone to play. I believe the Falcons are on a buy. A couple other pieces like that. Uh, you know, you'll still have Gurley, of course, and the Rams, but. People are going to love to play the Chiefs. DraftKings at least priced them up. Like all the main players are, are the highest price of the position or are higher up than they usually are. So that'll help a ton. But they're going to be popular. There's no hiding that. 
But again, it goes back, is it good chalk or bad chalk, like we talked about, because, you know, Kansas City stack can still be the top stack, and you just differentiate elsewhere, and you'll be just fine. So if you were to try to leverage that and fade the Chiefs' offensive skill position players, what do you think is the best way to do that in Week 8? Like, where would you pivot to if you wanted to kind of be contrarian to all the love that people are going to have for the Chiefs? At first game, I look at uh, the Rams, and if not the Rams, I love Pittsburgh playing that Browns defense at home. I think I think this could be a nice, uh, you know, Juju Roger or Juju Ben and Brown. I know it's expensive, but you can get some weapons there and play around. Maybe pick the right tight end, Vance McDonald, this week or not. I don't know, but um, I think the, the Steelers could be very interesting as well. Yep, that was the game that came to mind for me too. And even if you can't squeeze in both Brown and Juju along with Roethlisberger, you could put Vance McDonald in, like you said. You could game stack with David Njoku or Jarvis Landry or Duke Johnson. Yep. Like, There's a lot of interesting things you can do with that matchup, and I think that that is probably the best game to target if you're you know, trying to leverage the over-ownership of Kansas City. Um, totally agree. Uh, a couple other things that I'm looking forward to this week. I, I touched on the Philadelphia versus Jacksonville matchup, that early am start for for london is is not my favorite being a west coast guy i'm sure it's it's similar for you but i am curious to see how that travel affects those two teams it's it's just kind of a fascinating case because we don't have much of a sample of that stuff yet um the other thing i'm really looking forward to is new orleans at minnesota you know the rematch of that playoff game from last season i think that that should be a lot of fun to watch we could see some some pretty exciting fireworks in that game do you have an angle in new orleans minnesota that you're trying to attack in dfs yeah, see, I'm really looking forward to that game just as a fan to just watch football. Um, I think you could get really crazy at a GPP and try the Minnesota defense. I think that's an angle to attack at home against Breeze and company. If not, you look to play Breeze and his wide receiving core. You could pick, you can go crazy with Traquan Smith and hope he extends the field, but bring it back with a Thielen because Thielen just beats everybody. doesn't really matter right now. But I think playing the Saints side on the offense, unless you want to play the Vikings defense, basically put your line in the sand of which side you want. But uh, most people are going to play that Minnesota defensive side of things, or offensive side of things. So play the Saints offense to be different. Yeah, and because this game is not on the main slate, you do need to be a little bit more different, right? Yep, definitely. Um, yeah, showdown-wise, it can get really interesting. Uh, play the kickers, at least one of them, if not both, because that'll make you super different and save some cash. And then if you can squeeze... Adam Thielen in your captain spot, it's going to be pricey, but that's going to be pretty, pretty nice. Give me a bold prediction for week eight before we go. I don't know how bold this is considering what he did last week, but I was looking ahead and I think I'm going to keep it to the quarterback theme for you. I think Andrew Luck is the fantasy QB one this week against the Raiders. I love it. I I think that is bold though, because there are so many good QBs. I mean, we talked about Mahomes. Uh, we talked about you know Ben Roethlisberger having a good matchup, and, and there are a lot of other quality matchups on the slate as well. Um, I'm going to go to the running back position with my bold prediction, and I'm going to say that Raheem Mostert finishes as a top 20 fantasy running back against the Cardinals. Uh, that I Cardinals like defense it. has been really beatable on the ground. Breda is, is nicked up again. We know that the Niners aren't super high on Alfred Morris anymore at this point, not too surprising considering the stage of his career. Uh, but I, I think that this is a, an interesting spot for Mostert, especially in PPR, if Breda is not going to play. Um, so he, he's my pick. Um, I'm going a little bold with him. Yeah, I'm really confused on that, confused on that Mostert thing. I, I want to see how that plays out, but he's in the role, so you might as well go with it. I, I like the call. It's very, very bold. Thanks, Bubba. Hey, um, listeners, be sure to follow him on Twitter at B-D-E-N-T. R-E-K. I don't know why I have such a hard time spelling that out. How do you tell people how to find you on Twitter, Bubba? At B Dentrick. Dentrick. Okay. Dentrick. That's how I read it. And that's, that's probably the thing that makes the most sense to me, but um, check that out. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, great follow. Anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, I just do, you know, Bench with Bubba is my main podcast. Try to do that once or twice a week. Uh, I do a baseball podcast, do a NFL DFS two point conversion podcast. I do a golf podcast. I do a bunch, but to make it simple, you can find them all posted at thesportsdegens.com, plus many, many other articles from other contributors, and uh, we're on iTunes and all your other listening platforms as well. Good deal. Listeners, if you want to send feedback to this show, uh, you can find us on Twitter at 2QBs. You can email us, 2QBs at gmail.com. In either case, you spell it out all with letters T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, if you could rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, all that would be 
very awesome. I would greatly appreciate it. And with that said, good luck in week eight. Go get them. We'll catch you next time. Adios. <laughs>